movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 115, and I'll be perfectly honest, I really wish we were bringing you guys better news this week. It feels like the movie gods just dumped a load of crap on our plate of stuff we're going to talk about. One in particular crushed my soul again, but <laughs> there's another topic that I, I don't think Michael is thinking the same topic, but there's one that, as Thanos said... It balances it out as all things should be equal. Perfectly balanced as all things should be. Um, speaking of which, Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, sir. I am looking forward to some of these topics. I do appreciate you having me back on. It's nice to be here, uh, hang out with everyone for a little bit, talking a little bit of shop when it comes to films. I've had a lot of good news this week, uh, a lot of not so great news. Yeah, I'm sorry, but I uh, can't wait to get started, pal. Thanks again for having me. Uh, kicking us off, Michael, you watching anything good lately? Uh, I am uh, in preparation to uh, the uh, recent, uh, I think there was that, that trailer that came out we'll talk about later. It's eluding me at the moment. I've been rewatching uh, King of the Monsters, and luckily when you have it uh, digitally, you can skip all the parts that you don't really care about a lot easier. So most so, of the human character scenes. <laughs> that That's right. Uh, and I uh, have uh, made plans, I, this is for future, to actually watch uh, Tenet. I, I, have, I have plans for that tomorrow night. Um, so that's a tease for next week. Uh, but I also have been going back uh, over um, some older stuff, and I am plan on adding... Uh, the movie from the 90s called Quiz Show, starring Ralph Fiennes. It's a very interesting take on game shows and whether or not they are you know, valid and can be considered authentic or is it all staged. And so I, I had never heard of this film, but it was recommended to me by a coworker. Um, so uh, it's actually, I haven't watched a lot of good things this past week, but there's some stuff scheduled that I can't wait to report back on. So, Michael, you always talk about how I recommended some things to you. Um, I don't think you've seen this, but you always recommend the guy to me, and I've always been a fan of his, but it just seems like lately I've been watching more and more Sorkin stuff. So this week, yeah. another Sorkin title, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yes. Have you right. seen this yet? No, no, I have not. I'm waiting to hold, to watch it with my parents. What, what did you think? I didn't realize that Sorkin actually directed it. I just knew he wrote it. I didn't realize he directed it. Um, while he is not on our list today, uh, our main topic this week, as you can see by our title, is underrated actors. Um, just actors that we think really don't get the love and attention they deserve, uh, whether for their acting ability or they're just not in the main spotlight. There's an actor in The Trial of the Chicago 7 that was like by far my favorite performance and my favorite character that I was just like, you know what? We don't give Sasha Baron Cohen enough credit as an actor because holy crap, he is so good in this. Um... Everyone in this is outstanding. Um, it's clearly Sorkin's dialogue, except people aren't, you know, cutting off each other's sentences the entire movie. Um, just a second too soon. It's so, so good. There are no weak performances here. You've got Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's so good. And for almost all the movie, you're taking... It's through this one perspective of the guys on trial. Um, without saying too much, you do get a full picture of both sides of what happened. The guys on trial and the people that were also associated with the event itself. Um, it is 
excellent. I think I still lean a little bit more towards Moneyball because it's that's up my alley for baseball as opposed to crime dramas. Um, there's a couple scenes in this that like really, really got me and almost got me to tear up because it was too real for our world right now of like certain visuals of just like if you change out the clothing would fit too perfectly with 2020 as opposed to I believe the late 60s um it was so good Sasha Baron Cohen was excellent as the hippie type character oh, I forget what his name is he and he's got a hippie buddy that both of them just make a mockery of the trial while also being really really intelligent characters um, there's a good scene where the judge is like, are you too stoned? Of course we are. What do you expect? Um, but there's a good contrast between Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Eddie Redmayne's character, who's more like the logical, analytical character. And then there's yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen's character, who is just, I'm just here. And you find out why, and it's really uncomfortable. But at the same time, it just kind of shows the corruption around the whole situation. Um, Mark Rylance is outstanding as their judge. You by not judge, um, their attorney, but not everybody's attorney. They make a very obvious point that he is not everyone's attorney. Um, you'll know what I mean when you see it, uh, Michael. Um, and you, it has one of the best villains I've seen in a while with a judge. You just hate this guy. Um, but yeah, Trial of Chicago Seven. It's probably one of the best movies that came out last year, but then again, it had like four other movies to compete against. It was really good. Uh, well, so would you maybe put, if we had an under, underrated and underappreciated director's category, do you think Sorkin's creeping in on that with two back-to-back pretty decent films with Molly's Game and this one? No, only because he's Aaron Sorkin. Even people that don't really know scriptwriters have heard the name Aaron Sorkin. His name is pretty well known, and even in a director's circle. Yeah, he did two movies. M. Night Shyamalan has two good movies. You can <laughs> you can pick which the two those are. Just because he did two good movies doesn't make you a really great director. I think this is a great movie, uh, but you got to kind of have to show more than two movies for me. Um, okay. And even then, I still don't. There's no way I'm ever going to call Aaron Sorkin underrated because the dude, he's just known. He's won awards time and time again. Sure. I mean, I, I guess the thing is that you could be a good writer, uh, but then a terrible director. Um, now, as a side note, as a side note, uh, keeping the theme with Aaron here, let's just say that the supposed rumors, or I, let me just put it more accurately, maybe the longings of some people – uh, and the the potential team up with him and Patty Jenkins for the Star Wars movie. Would you do you think could you could you see or picture a Star Wars movie written by Aaron Sorkin like him going way out of his element and and doing something more fanciful instead of something more grounded like we've seen him do? I mean, he's done sports, but I mean, we're now we're going pure pure fantasy. Would you would you like to see that? Do you think it could work? What, what were your thoughts? I never actually got to ask you about that. You do bring up a really good point that he has, hasn't really done anything that outlandish before. And in that sense, I would like to see that, just to see him test himself. And that's also kind of why I don't think he'll be doing Rogue Squadron as much as we okay. would like to. It's just I think it's so far out of his bubble. It's like Michael Bay doing a romantic comedy. They have their bubble that they're really, really good at. Aaron Sorkin is one of the best dramatic writers ever, even if you can tell his movie's a mile away because everyone talks super, super fast and 
no one talks like they do in an Aaron Sorkin movie. Um, but yeah, space and sci-fi aren't really his realm, and that's why I would like to see it. I just don't know if he would be willing to. It's such a risk. Like he's put himself such, mm-hmm. on such a high pedestal that there is always this risk that if, oh yeah, you did the West Wing. But you also did that really crappy Star Wars script. And more people, unfortunately, are going to see Star Wars and they will see West Wing. Yeah, that, that's probably the saddest reality of them all. I, 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 was, I think I'd just like to picture, like, would, would it be cool to see something, like, quality talent and, like, a high bar come to a, a genre that isn't known for its writing? Like, what would it be if you could elevate the actual dialogue and make it, like, a moving drama and... And you can make it intelligent. I think, I think it'd be amazing to see that. It's almost too good to be true to think of something like that. Because the last thing that Aaron would ever do is, is half, uh, put in half effort. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask you about that. And since we brought it up, or at least you brought up Aaron Sorkin here, which I'm really glad. Uh, just uh, you can skip over the American President. That that's just a boring movie. Uh, so you don't need to to watch that. But I, I guess I would. If there's any other Sorkin project I would recommend, it's a little bit shorter. Since you have HBO, I'd check out the newsroom. It's a fantastic show. Yeah, I still gotta, I still gotta go back to the West Wing. But then again, West Wing yeah. will be a long way off because we still gotta trudge our way through Smallville, which is still good, by the way. But we've also slowed on. <laughs> We're still in season one. I don't think I realized when we did this undertaking, guys. There's like 21 or 22 episodes in each season, and it went on for 10 seasons. So like. We'll check back in at the end of 2021 when we can all go outside again. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, one more thing. Uh, this isn't a full-fledged news topic. It's just something major that's interesting that um, relates to a period in Michael and I's life. Uh, this is really big for the streaming industry. Um, so, Peacock has been a little behind the curve, but better than others. It's not to the level of HBO Max. It's not to the level of Disney Plus or Netflix, but it's better than HBO Max and others. Like, it has, I think, 26 million signups. It's doing pretty well. Well, as of the day of recording this, um, so Monday night, Peacock has acquired the WWE Network streaming service for a deal worth about a billion dollars. So, now all WWE programming in history that they've ever done including all future pay-per-views like WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, everything else, will all be on Peacock for no additional charge if you have the premium version, which is like 5 bucks a month with ads. So I'm going, this, even as someone who's fallen out of wrestling just because of how management treats their employees more or less like circus animals, um, I think this is a brilliant move because Peacock has one advantage that HBO Max can't boast, Disney Plus can't boast. A lot of other streaming services, especially not Netflix. Peacock is owned by Universal. Universal owns NBC. They have special access to sports and sports types programming. They can do these live events. You will not see Disney Plus ever live stream a baseball game or a football game. That's very much a reality with Peacock. And I think this is a smart move. Even if you're not a wrestling fan... This might incentivize more people to sign up for Peacock knowing, hey, you had WWE Network, but now for no extra charge, you can get it. Maybe half price if you wanted, but you get ads, but you get everything else. This is a really, really smart move, I think, um, for both parties involved. 
that this is business at its its finest. What what a great move! Uh, you're going to captivate an audience regardless. Uh, I grew up like most of America, knowing some wrestlers' names, and just the idea that yeah, it's fake, but there's something there. It does take a little bit of talent. And then I roomed with you for a year, and you changed my entire perspective on on what it is. It's not just a stereotypical. Uh, white trash folks that enjoy it. Even I mean, there is that. There is that. Yeah, there is that. And in the same way, I mean, I'm a a NASCAR fan, so I mean, hey, like, I have to look in the mirror. But much in the same way that I would argue that NASCAR is more than just turning left, uh, wrestling is so much more than just people fake wrestling. Uh, And that was, that was, I will be honest, captivating if you are able to at least get outside of your own little mind box and listen. Mind box. Yeah, yeah, just get get outside of it just for a little bit and consider a, a different entertainment, the form of entertainment that captivates millions of people and obviously has the market share uh, to to make moves. That is amazing. I, I'm that that is a great move. I think just for the streaming part portion of industry, but it's going to force people to innovate in other areas. I think this is capitalism at its finest. Good move all around, and it's going to put people together. I don't think. That normally would. I don't know what it's going to mm-hmm. be like. But we're streaming, streaming through, uh, or we're going to look through the the program uh, list of Peacock and why is Raw on here? I don't. Is, oh, okay. Like, what mm-hmm. is that? It's just, it just, it's, it's a way also of marketing and getting people that you might not ever think about. So, uh, bravo to them. Yeah. Um. Like I said, I haven't watched actively watched WWE in a very long time since before the pandemic. I think I stopped right around last year's Mania. But I already have Peacock. I signed up in the pre-order uh, just out of curiosity. And I've kept it. I like it. There's some good stuff on there. I got it initially for the Psych movie. Uh, but I still kept it because there's some good stuff in there every once in a while. Like the classic Universal Monsters. They, I think Universal and Peacock have had a better idea besides the name. It's still a stupid name. They've had a much better idea than HBO Max who we'll talk about a couple times here. Um, I think this is a really good idea. It's a good idea for WWE because now they just increase their subscriber base by like 20 million people. Um, and then it works for Peacock because they're absorbing an already recognizable brand that they've been working with already for the past 30 years. Universal has been working with WWE. Um, even if you're not watching the actual in-ring stuff. I'm happy because I dropped my WWE Network a long time ago, but I always regretted and missed the fact that I wouldn't have access to their documentaries anymore. That's like the best thing WWE does is after The Last Dance came out, they did one called The Last Ride about the last three years of The Undertaker, and that's a character in-ring that had like never been allowed to have the cameras on him ever just for sake of secrecy and keeping the character kind of sacred but now that he's done with wrestling we've been able to peel that layer back their documentaries are always outstanding one of my favorites is always when uh seth rollins legit went down with a torn kneecap um and like they did a whole documentary about his road recovery say what you want about the in-ring product their video team is on a whole other level so to have that back again gets me kind of excited because i've wanted to watch the last ride for a while but i wasn't gonna pay 10 bucks a month just for that one program um yeah, that's great, and you know, I will say that even though I was late to the last dance, well, that whole train. Even if you don't like sports, but that was so captivating, mm-hmm. and 
Uh, I am going to find my way to watch uh, The Last Ride because I actually, if for, I guess a shameless plug for another show, uh, The Undertaker was on Joe Rogan's uh, podcast and I listened to a lot of that interview. Fascinating. It's like this mm-hmm. guy didn't break, break character for like 30 years. Yep, and that's why like wrestling fans are so curious to see it because, yeah, he's so sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. brilliant move. Now, I guess from one wrestling uh, match to another, if we will. Yeah, you're not wrong because they're kind of building this up to be the fight to end all fights. Like this feels <laughs> this feels pay per view ish in the best possible way. Uh, so we knew a few days ago that we would be getting a Godzilla versus Kong trailer. I was not for the life of me expecting to like it as much as I do because holy crap this is awesome and maybe I like it because going back to the wrestling theme they're pushing Kong super hard as the baby face here Kong is the good guy and Godzilla is the bad guy in this movie from this trailer's perspective uh we can dive into why we think that is um I've been very much not against this movie. The idea of Godzilla versus Kong is always going to be awesome, but I was not overly impressed with King of the Monsters. I thought 2014's Godzilla was just kind of okay. I like Skull Island enough, um, but this trailer, bro, we see Kong wielding a battle axe. I don't need anything else. I'm sold. Um, however. I feel like now, after this trailer's come out, we can finally talk about the thing that I called two years ago, and I've been, I said in last year's predictions, and then some stupid toy company had to go and ruin the surprise, so I can't say that I called it anymore, because now people will be like, you just saw the toy leaks, or now, you just saw it in the trailer, but um, we'll talk about that and some theories in a little bit, but Michael, you're the big kaiju fan here, what you thinking about this Godzilla vs. Kong trailer? Uh, I, I thought it was good. It's not, I will say, with a, with a heavy heart because I'm a huge Godzilla fan. Not a, not the biggest King Kong fan, but I, I sympathize with that storyline. I don't, I don't, I reject the premise. Like, I don't like the fact they have to fight anyway, which, which that could be certainly a part of the misdirection that we may talk about here in a, in a moment. Uh, but as a trailer, it does its job so well. And I am glad that they are putting, I, I know this is going to be controversial, the monsters at the forefront of <gasps> a monster movie. So, Well, at I, least in the trailer. This could be yeah. all the monster footage we get, and they just spend most of it with Friday Night Lights over there. That That's very true. I, you know, I, I'm impartial. I'm impartial anyway. I actually don't mind some of the human characters, but they, I think there's a little more intrigue. I don't think this movie, it's going to be stupid in a sense that, like, this is like the cheap popcorn stuff, but I really hope the rest of America buys into this because I want this movie to make money. I want I want the American audience just to turn a little bit. And based on the like to dislike ratio and the amount of views this has gotten, I know it's we don't know the, the breakdown internationally versus domestic, but it seems like people are enthusiastic, but maybe just the people are just desperate for a movie to come out that looks mm-hmm. halfway decent. So it's getting a little bit of a pandemic bump. Either way. It's a strategy that HBO had. Let's move it up and get this thing out, baby. And I'm so happy. Like I can't wait to go see this and take my dad because it's my dad. My dad, he wants to go see it because he wants King Kong to lose 
because uh-uh. God's oath is, yeah, nope. I know, I know, I know, just, that's just my dad. Like, my dad's an older generation, grew up with Godzilla, loves, loves all that source material. So, but he, but see, here's the thing, is that the trailer did its job. He wants to go and see it to see Godzilla, like, win. And so you, they're literally building this up like a, like a wrestling match. So you have people on both sides who are like, ah, Team Godzilla or Team King Kong. Like, I think that's brilliant. So, hey, kudos to them. Dude, dude, never a good idea to have a Jimmy Neutron brain blast on podcast, but I think that's what I'm having right now. Michael, what was the name of the last MonsterVerse movie that we got in this universe? King of the Monsters, yes. I think they've purposely just called him Kong so far. They haven't called him his proper name. So Godzilla is King of the Monsters. Well, what happens when Godzilla king of the monsters gets beaten who is the new king kong yeah that's very it's very true but i, I can i will say as a rebuttal and i'm stealing this line what is a king to a god i, I don't know well we've already said godzilla is the one that's gonna die probably uh yeah. so you don't like the fact that godzilla is the bad guy in this one and i get that uh one of my good friends is a diehard Godzilla fan. He's obviously pulling for Godzilla all the way in this fight. I love that the trailer gets us intrigued as to why Godzilla might be acting up here. Because we have two previous movies going, well, he's protected us. He's terrifying and will destroy stuff, but he'll destroy us, destroy stuff for us. There's an intrigue there, but they don't... I was going to say, they don't entirely tip their hand, but they just couldn't help themselves, could they? Because... Correct. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. This trailer absolutely 100% confirms to me the real problem, the doomsday, if you will, to the Batman versus Superman that is Kong versus Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla. I have been calling it since before King of the Monsters and even before Skull Island came out. I remember having the conversation with you or Alex in college, I forget who, but I said the trajectory will more than likely be... Um, Godzilla, and then in the next one it'll be Ghidorah, and then the next one will be Mecha Godzilla. I bet you anything that's the route that they take. And sure enough, the dude himself is in the trailer, not once, but twice. Mecha Godzilla shows up in this trailer twice. Once, it's in the second shot of the entire trailer. I'm like, wow, you guys really could not wait. Kind of in the shot emulating the trailer for the 2014 Godzilla. Right. When they're exactly. in the bunker and the door's closed and you just get that quick little glimpse of him roaring. You can see up in the top corner what looks like a metal robotic head roaring. I'm going, so that's Mecha Godzilla. Also, again, this is, if you haven't caught on yet, this is what was leaked by the toy company all those months ago. That made me annoyed just going... I was right, but now I can't gloat in the fact that I was right because everyone's just going to think that I saw the toys. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mechagodzilla is the one doing these attacks, and that's why Godzilla's pissed because everyone thinks it's him. Uh, I've heard some theories out there that Mechagodzilla is wearing some form of a Godzilla suit and like a skin suit like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs and is like framing Godzilla but I'm going that sounds a little hard to believe that you would have skin to go over a mechanized Godzilla but somebody brought up a really good point I think it was 3C Films one of my favorite YouTube channels that he mentioned in the trailer when you see King Kong because I'm gonna call him King Kong because he's king when he's wielding the axe what if he 
chops into God, uh, Godzilla's face, and it, like, starts to peel away the mask, and half of his face is Godzilla, and half of it is Mecha Godzilla. when, the, like, the mask starts peeling off, and as the fight goes on, it becomes more and more mechanized before the actual Godzilla shows up to fight. I would be down for that. I feel like some people might feel cheated that maybe Godzilla's fighting, uh, that Kong is fighting a Mecha Godzilla as opposed to the real Godzilla, but I think the end of the day it's really kong versus the real godzilla before realizing oh mecha godzilla's here that's who the real threat is yeah i i don't know i think this yeah mecha godzilla's gonna be part of it and i don't i wouldn't even honestly i wouldn't even rule out mecha uh Ghidorah in this case because uh the the terrorist group in the recent film they have the technology to do it they have the brain of the severed uh, Ghidorah head and they have, you know, you can't rule out mind control either because Monarch was using the mind control and the, the uh, frequency, uh, inter- like I would say, interrupter uh, in King of the Monsters. They were proven that humans could do this. So there's anything from mind control. And then there's like aliens. Like if you, there's the one shot in the trailer where, where, where uh, Kong is about to put his hand on that rock and, that, and you look in the background, there's like a spaceship in the background too. Spaceship. Yeah, we already know that there's aliens because Ghidorah was an alien. So there's like three different things of like it could be aliens. It could be yes, obviously Mecha Godzilla, which I think is most prominent. The one thing that the the one thing that that doesn't strike me as right is even the is the banner poster here. They're standing on top of the aircraft carrier, and I know that Kong has grown, and they've mentioned that, but that does not look like a full size. Uh, Godzilla to me at all. Yeah, they both look like they shrunk so they could fit onto the aircraft carrier. Yeah, they, these they, they this doesn't look massive. And if you guys want any sort of proof, this go back and watch King of the Monsters or the first Godzilla. This he is he is skyscraper tall. Uh, and Kong here doesn't look like that. Even on the boat, he doesn't look skyscraper tall. So here's what I think is going to happen. And I know it might very well seem cheated, but I think because of this introduction of potentially having uh, Mecha Ghidorah a part of this, is that Kong is going to be fighting Mecha Godzilla majority of the time, in my opinion. And I believe the real Godzilla will show up, and he will end up saving Kong in a fight. That's just my prediction, but he will be much bigger than King Kong. It'll be, it'll, it won't be close. It'll be like, okay, yes, then Kong's more agile, more quick, um, and then Godzilla, so he can use a lot of stuff, climb on buildings, use tools, which Godzilla can't do. But the real Godzilla is going to be towering over Kong. And, but th- he's going to help him defeat Mecha Godzilla, and then Mecha Ghidorah is going to be there as well. So it will be a team up. Uh, but I, even in the shot here, I don't think that's that's real King Kong, in my opinion. So at least that's what I'm hoping for, because I, I, Godzilla is a good guy, and I don't want the stupid mind control. Don't. Don't tell me mind control is a part of the plot. That that that's like the lowest common denominator. I don't want to see that. Really? Yeah. Godzilla, I, mind control. Yeah. You, yeah. you act like it's a foreign concept to the franchise. Godzilla it, has it, gone to weird places, dude. He's fought a killer plant. Mind control is not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's mind control either, but you can't rule it out. Oh, um, I know. I, I think it's interesting how quickly they made Kong the sympathetic babyface here. Uh, yeah. Like, um, I appreciate the great care and detail. And I'd be curious if Toby Kebbell still did the voice, uh, the motion capture for it, like he did with Skull Island, of 
when the aircraft carrier is getting attacked, he actually pretty emotes pretty well when he like has that yes. look of concern. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm on your side, dude. I hope everything's okay. Um, and like he's bon- formed this bond with this girl, which is more or less kind of like a repeat of what they did with um, Eleven from Stranger Things and Mothra to a certain extent. So interesting that they're doing that again, except just without the sonar. Uh, I this trailer was awesome, minus the Ghidorah. The pretty obvious Mechagodzilla, I mean, not Ghidorah. The pretty obvious Mechagodzilla teases and straight up admissions that he's in this. Um, it it did what a trailer's supposed to do. It converted me, who wasn't excited for this movie due to the last one, and made me excited. This looks awesome. I cannot wait. It's just unfortunate that most people are going to have to watch this at home, which is where we're going to disagree. Um, I don't think this movie's going to make its money back just because I think so many people are going to opt for watching it on HBO Max, which that money probably goes more to AT&T than to Legendary. So they're going to need a lot of new subscribers in order to make that money back, which I don't see that happening. Like, I see people watching it for sure. I don't know if necessarily they'll keep HBO Max after that. Um, because this is still coming out in March, and I don't think the world is magically going back to normal by March. Um, because it's such an effects-heavy movie, and because they've had to delay it so many times, the budget for this is probably really, really high. I think they were just like, we need to get this out there at some point. We need to get ahead of all these delays, which we'll talk about next, as my heartbroken sadness continues on. Um... I don't think this will make its money back, but it won't be a testament to the quality of the movie this time. Good or bad, it'll just be, it just got dealt a bad hand. So it would, the odds are very, very slim that it makes its money back just because of how expensive it's, I'm sure, gotten at this point. Yeah, I I think that's probably the, the safest bet uh, for sure. It's most likely. I, I will say that I think it does make its money back uh, because I know it's two months away. But there are a lot of signs in a lot of states that they are opening up, and I think people will want to see this. Uh, I think people want to get back to theaters anyway, and if they have the opportunity, they'll want to see this on the biggest screen possible. So I have hope. I have hope there. Uh, I do have questions for you. I do, I do have questions. Uh-oh. If this if this does succeed, if this does end up turning a profit, do you think or what? Where do you see them going? Because they haven't announced any other films past this. And so that's the first question. Then let's do the other one. If it doesn't succeed, is this the end of the monster group? So here's where I have some unpopular opinions. I think success or failure, this is the end of this timeline. I think this is it. I think they've swung for the fence three times. And say what you want about the quality, but... None of them so far have been home runs. They've been, at best, pretty solid doubles. They have not resulted in the box office that Warner Brothers or Legendary has hoped for. They've tried it a few times, which is smart. They didn't just give up after one movie, DC. Um, They tried it a few times to try and make it work. I think this is the end of this continuity. If they have to continue it on, they will continue it on with Kong, not Godzilla because... America 100% owns the right to Kong. They can keep using that one, whereas Godzilla, it's a much trickier situation of... It's like Spider-Man in the MCU, except on steroids in terms of what you are and are not allowed to do with the character. Um, So if it was to continue on, it would probably just be with Kong and no one else. But I think win, lose, or draw, 
this is probably the end of this incarnation of the monster first and might get rebooted again in a few years. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, it's sad to say is like, I, I love Godzilla and I think they have done him very well. Uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, we'll have gotten three movies with him uh, in like six years, seven years, which is actually really cool. And be able to see this creation from an American perspective with the attention to effects and actually done a decent job with a character. I think he actually has character. You can sympathize with a giant lizard. Uh, at least I can. And that's more than I would have gotten seven years ago. And I, So I think that's great. Um, if they do continue, I think you need to use him sparingly because I think you could easily get burned out on him. Uh, I, it's kind of like the T-Rexes the from, from Jurassic Park. You, can't, mm. you cannot overuse them. You can't overuse the impact tremor. Because the impact tremor, that sound effect, that, oh my gosh, what's about to happen, you, that will always bring chills. But if it's just a gimmick, then it's going to lose its weight and its power, I guess, weight, uh, no pun intended. So with Godzilla, I hope, they, I, I hope we get him back uh, in, in with, with the same care and the same passion that we've gotten him uh, in this particular universe. But I had to ask you because... You say, Nate, you put on a tinfoil hat all the time, but you know I'll give you a lot of credit, man. And for those who may doubt, you absolutely called this in college. Like there, he is not lying to you. We we had these discussions, so um, you, know, you you have a lot of credibility. And I wanted to ask you, not because you're not a movie insider, but I swear some of the information you get, it seems like you have inside sources. So <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I know a guy. The guy is yeah. me, and I'm just a good guesser. Well, I wish we had better news to segue in. We get off the incredible high of a great trailer to come crashing down to the reality that is we still live in 2021, and despite what y'all think, we're still in the middle of a pandemic as it keeps hitting the box office below the belt, and it keeps hitting me below the belt and goes, everything Nate loves and cares about, he will never, ever get to see because... We have more delays. This time, A Quiet Place 2 has been pushed to, I believe, November. Um, uh, November or August. The, later this year, Ghostbusters Afterlife has also been delayed till later this year. Um, what's the other one? Morbius. I was at least curious about that one. But the gut punch. The come on. Like, I was just looking for, like, the ideal gif of just rage, throwing stuff, chucking it across the room, just throwing on my hands to the Almighty, screaming in agony. Uncharted has been delayed again, even though it's done this time. It's been delayed to next February. It is now coming out February 2022. Guys, this movie is done. They wrapped filming. It has been done since December. They're in post-production. We were getting promo material. We were this close. Come on. Why can't I have nice things anymore? I told people at the end of 2020, I said, guys, don't worry. 2021, it could always be worse. Um, it's worse. Little did, I know, little did I know I was referring to the movie industry. Uh, I, buddy, I'm so sorry. I saw this and my stomach dropped uh, for you. Uh, for me, I'm willing to wait. But, you know, this would be... Uh, we joked about it in our pre-production meeting that you know if this was Mass Effect, 
um, you would hear me scream from up here. So, buddy, I truly am sorry. I almost want to hold a vigil for you, to be honest. Um, I next look, year, guys. Yeah, yeah. Come on. The thing is, now does the month does the fact that they they delayed it a year? I, I, I'm conflicted here because they delayed a year. That means they believe it's going to make money, and they're not desperate. That's good news. Problem: They were releasing it in February. Now, February as well, a as a movie release fair. month is wasn't wasn't it's not what it was. They say twenty years ago. That's January. I think but, right now, given the state of everything, yeah. you, you can't have the January sucks rule currently because Scream, okay. the new Scream movie, is supposed to come out January of twenty twenty two. That's already done filming. That's completely done. So why it's okay. coming out in January, I don't know. But I think we're at a point that stuff has to go somewhere. So January is a viable spot right now. It's more just, it's frustrating to me, one, because the movie's done. It, it had the massive obstacle for all these years of even getting made to begin with. It is now done. It's finished filming, at least. They're still editing it. Um, but the thing that bothers me the most about this is Uncharted was supposed to come out in July. Sony themselves had not started up the marketing for this yet. They were showing... Um, little images here and there on Nolan North's live stream, the actor that voiced Nathan Drake in all the Uncharted games. So they weren't really pushing any of their marketing yet. I think this is a really stupid choice because July is still a long, long way off. Your marketing, you wouldn't even have to start till that till March or April. I said we wouldn't get a trailer until mid to late March. There was still time to make a decision with this. I think you could have delayed this if you had to, to November, just push it a little further out. But the fact that you pushed it so far out baffles my mind, boggles my mind, because it was replaced with a stupid Cinderella remake. Like, come on! That could be slotted anywhere. If you really are positive about your Uncharted franchise, and you think this is your new franchise like you did with Jumanji, you plant your flag in the summertime. And if yeah. the pandemic is still around, you just keep pushing it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I genuinely don't get the decision because July, at least for right now, seems like that might still be a feasible goal for a movie to come out. And the fact that you pushed it out of its July slot when we're still in January makes no sense to me. You still had time to make this choice. And I don't agree with the decision whatsoever, and I'm not biased whatsoever in this decision. Um, but let's also take the Uncharted, as much as that's difficult for me, to put the Uncharted aside here. It sucks that we have to wait further for Ghostbusters or A Quiet Place 2. At least those are still coming out this year. Um, one of them, it just made sense. I think either A Quiet Place 2 or Ghostbusters was coming out in April. That makes a lot more sense to delay than Uncharted. Um, do you see it any different, Michael? Do you think this is a bit premature, or you think Sony's smart for this? Uh, that That's so difficult here, because it, at least for Uncharted, it goes that maybe they believe they have something, because if, if they are confident, there's no way that they would delay it to a, a month that's maybe historically not going to bring as many people out to theaters, you know, as far as the climate goes. I mean, I always, in my life, I always think summer, like, that's the time for the big adventurous type of movies. Those are the ones with the biggest box office because 
it's easier to get out. It's a little bit later. I mean, it's there at least here in the Midwest, it stays brighter much longer here in our, our more northern climate. And you know, it listen. I think they they have to believe that this movie is good and that it will make money. So therefore, they are willing to put it out in theaters to maximize the biggest return versus putting it out maybe like you said in July where they they might not get as much as they could. Uh, for me, it's like guys, we have no problem. We have a winner here and we don't need a big win at this early in the game. We are not desperate. This does not reek of desperation. Because this is the exact opposite of what Warner Brothers is doing with Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm. We've talked about it with HBO Max. We've talked about the need for content. We've the flop of Wonder Woman. This is a move of saying, guys, we're going to take it on the chin now so we don't have to take it below the belt later on when we realize, wow, we had this great movie, but no one had the potential to see it, a.k.a. Tenet. Mm. Um, so yeah. that's... That's my best pitch, is that they like this movie, they believe it's good, Nathan. I think that's the best news you could hear. True, but come on. It's now, now the movie, now the movie that I had the date, July 16th, it was less than six months away, yeah, less than seven months away, is yeah. now 13 months away! Double the wait time. It's like when you go to a theme park, and you're just like, oh, this ride is 15-minute wait. As soon as you get in line, wait time changes 75 minutes. Come on! Because, um, yeah. yeah. believe it or not, people, this month, this year's October was supposed to be special. My birthday's in October. This October, at one point, we were supposed to have Uncharted one week in October. The next week we were going to get, um, no, the first week in October, we were supposed to get uh, The Batman. The week after that, Uncharted, and then the week after that, Halloween Kills. You cannot have a better trilogy for my birth month to gift me with, and now one of them is left. That's it. And I don't even have confidence that that movie will come out in theaters this year. I'm just mad. Let's move on, shall we? Let's talk Let's talk about breakups, why don't we? Because we're just mad. Uh, Christopher Nolan's mad. He's mad at Warner Brothers. Shocker. <laughs> we all saw this one coming. So, with the announcement that HBO Max will be moving to, um, HBO Max will be taking basically all the theatrical released movies for Warner Brothers going forward. Nolan's going, yeah, that's not cinema. Or, that's not cinema. I, I can't pretend to do his British accent. Uh, and now it seems like Christopher Nolan will now be stepping away for Warner Brothers and will no longer be making movies under their banner. This is not surprising to me at all, but also at the same time, it feels like it's the end of a legacy because almost from the get-go, Nolan has solely been a Warner Brothers guy. The Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, uh, Interstellar. They, he's synonymous with Warner Brothers, and now that's not happening. I wouldn't be surprised if this happens with other people like uh, James Gunn or Denny Villeneuve, some other directors that have been screwed over this year with the Hill HBO Max deal. Um, I think this also lends credence to the thinking that there will be a bidding war for the services of one Christopher Nolan. Take Tenant's failures. I mean, Tenant still, I think, made some money, but not as much as it could have. 
because it was a bad movie from all accounts and it was released at the wrong time. Take all that aside. Nolan is one of the only directors out there today that his name still commands box office money and other studios I'm sure will want him very, very quickly. Um, Michael, do you see a bidding war on the near future? And if so, who do you think will land the talents of one Christopher Nolan? Oh man, that is it. I don't know. Is is it above Disney to go after somebody like this? They, I mean, I, 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 he doesn't produce typically. I mean, the more cerebral kind of mess with your head, kind of change a paradigm uh, type of narrative or introduce new concepts. I don't know if Disney would be interested in something like that, but they're interested in every other market. So I can't imagine he won't talk with them. Um, I, I really, I mean. Look how much that J.J. Abrams was worth in his contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so being a free agent, I, I would say, man, if the market's going to pay you exactly what you're worth, uh, if I was in his position, I'd sit down with everybody. If if because he's going to be called, I wouldn't dismiss anyone at this point. Uh, but I mean, is it above Nolan to start his own either? I mean, well, he already it, has his. Uh, he already has his own company with Syncope that he runs yeah. with his wife, which is more of his it, production company, but. It's different being a production company than being an actual studio studio, studio. to handle yeah. the finances and everything else. I mean, could, I mean, could he? Is that out of the realm of possibility that he just is independent, is unshackled? Because a lot of this, this feud with Warner Brothers, unless he unless he signs a particular contract, which is you're not going to be able to get any sort of studio to, to sign in the age of streaming and to come. Um, is there a chance that he just decides, hey, I'm gonna. I mean, he's always been somebody to go against the narrative in a way that's maybe the socially acceptable way of presenting material on screen. Why not take a delve into um, into a different way of actually having a studio? Do you need a massive studio to produce a good film? I, I don't know. I, I, this this could be a way for him to live up to the Christopher Nolan brand and not do the by-the-numbers type of thing. So I'm so glad you said something about do you think he goes independent? Because Christopher Nolan has made money hand over fist with his money with his movies over the years. If he's not getting into a bidding war, um, if money is no object, I think he might end up with someone like Paramount because like okay. Tom Cruise will always talk them up. Um, and Paramount maybe could use his talents more so than other studios. But if he doesn't care about the money and wants artistic freedom, yes. I could see him sticking with a smaller company like an A24 and going okay. back to his indie roots, like going back to his insomnia or following or memento days and kind of scale back from the blockbusters and kind of go more with the introspective stuff. Because A24 has really quietly been killing it, and I'm sure a guy like Nolan hasn't been sleeping on A24, and I'm sure he's kept up with the success that they've had from an artistic level um, mm-hmm. from a sheer um box office in terms of like budget to how much they make Blumhouse is probably the number one name in the game right now like here here's seven million dollars thanks Jason Blum here here's 200 million dollars for your generosity that's typically how a Blumhouse movie goes and before you say anything Blumhouse does do other things besides horror they did whiplash which well, I guess is kind of a horror movie if you really think about it. Uh, yeah, but I've been clamoring for Christopher Nolan to do a horror movie forever. A psychological horror would be fantastic for that man. Uh, but I think, 
I would look more at a smaller studio like a Blumhouse or an A24 before you look at a Paramount or Sony. Not that Sony could afford him. They could barely afford Spider-Man. Uh, I'd look at the smaller studios before looking at the big studios from where Nolan might land. Yeah, I, I think creative freedom is of utmost importance if I just had to guess. And based on this particular feud uh, that has happened, and just we're just done. And I... I'm and in a way it's sad because uh, you know I really appreciated like the the at least up to this point the amount of confidence that they had. It's just you know I, I will say at least to myself the reason why I haven't watched Tenet is because I'm usually exhausted by the end of the day and I don't want to have to invest in a film and you know Nolan has uh, other than I mean even the Dark Knight that Dark Knight presents some serious, like, I mean, you have to put on your thinking cap to watch Dark Knight in a way. Yeah, so Dark Knight, I always say, is one of the best movies I've ever seen, but I've seen Batman Begins more often because that's a lighter, more digestible movie. Exactly, and you really, you can't not pay attention. You really have to think, and and that's, and, and it's amazing that he's been able to have the following that he has because, you know, typically the bigger blockbusters, the the less you really have to kind of be engaged or be asked really difficult, like metaphysical and existential questions. So uh, for him, I think creative freedom is of utmost importance. I think he will uh, go more independent, if not try to do it himself for whatever it's worth. And that's just a kind of a wild guess. Uh, I don't, I don't see him signing with a big studio, uh, but I'd be very curious if he signed with a more independent one. I honestly think you'll see more films from him. So for our last two news topics today, because we could talk about the Charlie and Chalk Factory prequel, but um, I want to keep your childhoods intact. Thanks. I have nothing nice to say about that because it doesn't have Taika Waititi as as Willy Wonka, which is something I've wanted for a while. But let's talk about some happier things, shall we? Or at least curious very curious, as Mr. Ollivander would say, as HBO Max is thinking about doing a live-action Harry Potter series, which there's a lot of unknowns because it's very early in pre-production of what time period this would be and for all you going. But Harry Potter's done. It Just because it's called Harry Potter doesn't necessarily mean it's around the three main characters. It's Harry Potter's an easier clickbait-type title than The Wizarding World, or whatever they're calling the prequels, the the Fantastic Beasts movies. Um, I think this is a good idea on paper, because J.K. Rowling did establish a really good world um, for characters to inhabit. She has gotten in her own way as of late, with the Fantastic Beasts contradicting a lot of the stuff she herself wrote. Why the heck is McGonagall in Crimes of Grindelwald when she wasn't even supposed to be born yet? Um, and also just, like, her... Let's not go into details, but um, her proclivity for controversy the past few years. Um, taking all the Harry Potter stuff aside... Let's get back to HBO Max. HBO Max, you want to do a Harry Potter series on your service. How about just, you know, having the actual Harry Potter movies on there first? You had them for a (laughs) month, and then you lost them to Peacock, who also lost them. And now, no one has them on streaming. Come on. HBO Max, your first priority should be getting Harry Potter back. Then you can do expanded stuff like... 
Sorry, I care, maybe because I've seen them and I know them and I love them. I care more about the Harry Potters that I have seen than the ones that are the unknown factor. Get your house in order before you start adding an addition to your garage. Well, that's pretty hard-hitting. I, I did not realize that they didn't have them and that they're nowhere. That's pretty funny. Um, I have a, a box set you know, on Blu-ray, so I'm, I'm covered there. Uh, I, I'll say this, that uh, you, you texted me this earlier today, and I responded immediately. I said, no, thank you. And you, and you countered, and, and, and I thought I've been thinking. I've been thinking for the last several hours. And, Uh-oh. And I have, I have this, first off, let me speak from the business standpoint. Again, makes complete sense, but also out of desperation. So mm-hmm. they moved up Kong versus Godzilla after the massive flop that was Wonder Woman. They have two Game of Thrones prequels. After they, you know, re- actually the numbers released to the public of how many subscribers they lost once Game of Thrones ended. And now they have this. Now this will get them subscribers. This is also a very long time away. So mm-hmm. this is not like it's coming in six months and like, hey, my- surprise. So I think this is good because I really do like Harry Potter. I don't even mind how stupid. The last, uh, the Crimes of Grindelwald was. I oh. thought the first one. I, I honestly don't mind it because I like the universe. Okay. Yes, I like the universe the, is I, good. The story yeah, around that universe. <laughs> just like the fact that I will always have a, you know, a disposition towards the prequels of Star Wars. It's because I love the universe and hey, sue me over it. I don't care. I, I like them. They're not. They're awful movies, but I like them. Crimes of Grindelwald and the first one, whatever the first one is, because I can't name it. Uh, they're I, I like them. So this is good. I will accept watching this on two conditions. This is now Michael talking away from the financial. Two conditions. One, J.K. Rowling runs it with a group of people, and they bring back the original cast. Or If it's set in that era. Yes. Or J.K. Rowling gives consent for creative freedom, and it has nothing to do with anything we've seen before. I will not accept anything in between. I will be I will be dumb, I'll be immature, and I will use both extremes. I'm not interested in like the whole soft Star Wars, like we have to have everything connected. We have a massive universe, massive history, but everything has to be connected. Either bring back the original cast, this will be at least 10, 11, we're talking 12, probably 13 years after they've done it. I think they've, they've, they've had their break and their press media away. They've been able to branch out and do their own stuff. For, I mean, because I think Part two, Deathly House Part Two came out in 2011, so we're already wow. at almost 10 years. Yeah, so by the time if they got them back, if they could get them back, like bring them back and give them a, a bunch of money. Hopefully, they can support it and tell a story as adults. Because the best thing, the best thing they have going for them, Nathan, is that we as millennials, as the driving market of this entire franchise, we grew up with those characters, literally. They aged as we aged. Their voices got, you know, the, as oh, Harry, his voice got deeper. My voice got deeper. He started to look different. I started to look different. You started growing, and he stopped yeah. growing. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, so, like, they, they talked about those odd, like, puberty things, like in uh, Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix. Like, those were all real. Well, now we're, we're later on in life. We're, we're millennials. We, we have jobs. We're getting married. We're having kids. W- what are they doing like? I think you could tell a story that's well, well outside of Hogwarts. 
that's still with our main cast and how they can deal with another threat, another particular plot that's away from the school. So you so you have the heart the group because the because the the magic is the people. Yeah, Hogwarts is important. I'm not saying it can't be there, but it's it, but it's the people you fell in love with. Mm. So tell a story that way, or or just take it out of it. Don't mention anything and do your own thing. And 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 please, J.K., don't be involved. Um, if if she wants to be involved, bring back and 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 create those lovely characters because you you've created magnificent things. Come go back to your original characters, set them ten years, eleven years later, and and start from there. So that, those are the two conditions. I don't know about you, uh, and Nate, but uh, I won't accept anything other than that because that would, if it's, if that show came out tomorrow and they greenlit it, I would sign up for HBO Max. Well, if I didn't already have HBO Max, this next thing, oh my gosh, would get me to sign up faster than any streaming service. Like, you could show me the Mandalorian trailer, Falcon Winter Soldier, Franklin Little Bear crossover, only available on Peacock. Doesn't matter. <laughs> if you told me what I'm about to tell you guys is actually happening to HBO Max, because we'll get into the full details here in a second. Oh my gosh, I'm taking out my wallet and going, just, I whatever's in it, take it, please, please, please. So, according to Kevin Smith, so take this with a grain of salt, Kevin Smith is right sometimes, he's wrong sometimes. Um, that's why I don't often trust him as a source, but at least when he says something, I will listen to it, There's because he does have some connections. Um, Kevin Smith has come out and said that apparently at HBO Max, there are plans to do a Batman the Animated Series revival slash continuation, uh, basically nowadays just for HBO Max. Oh, sweet baby Jeebus, take my money. Now, to be fair, there actually has already been a continuation of Batman the Animated Series. It's called Superman the Animated Series and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And a few years ago, they started, um, I think it was a limited series, but it was uh, Batman Adventures. They continued it in comic book form. But if you did this, oh my God, my heart would die of happiness because Batman the Animated Series was one of my favorite favorite shows as a kid and it still is because it to me is the definitive batman i don't care um Mm -hmm. you could say ben affleck's batman christian bale's batman to me batman will always be batman animated series kevin conroy and mark hamill that's as close to perfection as i think we will ever get in batman um and revisiting that could be amazing. I've always said the best Batman movie of all time is Mask of the Phantasm. If we had some sort of follow-up to that, besides what Tom King is currently writing in the comics. Um, But just think of it from a perspective of that show ran, if I remember correctly, from 92 to 96, 97. It was three seasons and then one semi-sequel series. It's like Scrub Season 9 type of situation. With a completely different animation style. Super weird. But a lot has happened in the Batman world and in the universe since Batman the Animated Series has ended. That, oh my gosh, if you tied that back into the Animated Universe world, I would just be happy. Like, imagine Batman the Animated Series taking on the character of Hush. Or Batman the Animated Series doing the Court of Owls. Or Red Hood. Or, let's try and get Nightwing right this time. Because as much as Batman the Animated Series is... Batman perfection 
still one of the worst Nightwing suits of all time. Come at me. That mullet is stupid. The Spider-Man wings is stupid. The blue is all wrong. But shut up and take my money if this is true. Now, again, grain of salt. But if this is true, this is the best news I've heard in a very long time. And not enough people are talking about this. Yeah, I... I didn't, I mean, again, I didn't grow up with a lot of knowledge of comic books, and when I would hang out with one of my friends in my childhood, we watched this all the time, and he had actually a lot of the action figures he had, the Batwing from this game, the Batmobile, mm-hmm. he actually had uh, the, he actually had Wayne Manor in the Batcave, and we played with this stuff all the time, like, it, it was amazing, and, like, th- this was a regular on my particular viewing, the schedule, and mm-hmm. I loved it. And I and I, I will always uh, for for me it's the we we had a treehouse built for like the Bat Cave it was it was huge and so like but this is like this is the peak of nostalgia as far as like all of, like the hundreds of shows that us millennials grew up watching if you had the privilege of having cable so this is another thing that if they could pull it off would be amazing so I I will tread lightly into this. I would. I don't know if this alone would get me, but it would certainly make me more interested in saying, "Okay, okay, HBO, that's a very good start. You're starting to turn it around. Now you just need to rebrand and change your name and yeah. make it Warner Brothers WB something." That's all I'm suggesting here. Uh, I I actually do think a rebrand is probably coming before the end of the year, depending on the subscriber count. If the subscriber count doesn't increase soon. I think they will because other streaming services are doing that. CBS All Access is being rebranded. Um, I think this will get rebranded sooner rather than later. This is just amazing. I, also, there's a precedent for this. Um, HBO Max, it's either HBO Max or Cartoon Network proper. I think it's HBO Max. Just did that revival of Animaniacs that got really good um, reviews and was received very well. Uh, I remember when we were in college, they did that revival of Samurai Jack which was around the same era, except Samurai Jack, uh, kind of similar to this. It started as a kid's program, a darker kid's show, but then when they did the reboot, they still had the original show in mind, but kind of made it more mature-oriented, and I can see the same thing happening here. It still very much fits in that original universe, but there's more mature storytelling, because their audience would have grown up with it. Um, like I said, if you introduce Court of Owls in that universe, Prime Batman versus one of his greatest enemies with the Court of Owls, or Hush, or Red Hood did not exist. Um, I mean, Jason had been killed off, or whatever. Um, but Red Hood proper, just a lot of interesting things you could do with this. Um, just shut up and take all of my money, please. It, I just... I just need it in my life. Um, so our sponsor this week, before we get into our main discussion, um, I'll go with DC Infinite. I think that's what it's called nowadays. The rebranding is a little confusing. So it used to be DC Universe before HBO Max went and go and took all their shows and then reduced them to HD instead of 4K. But I have been using it a lot to get... Um, some good research and some good pictures done for the Nightwing video. And it's still a fantastic asset for any DC Comics fan. High quality comics. A lot of comics. Um, I've gone back and read old, old Supermans and Flashes. Um, great 
interface in terms of like do you want specific characters do you want specific storylines um it's a it's a well put together app and hbo max could learn a thing or two from their smaller little brother so you've got your big name actors out there right you've got your robert downey juniors your chris evans your someone not in the mcu that i'm blanking on right now um they get all the love and attention. Your Tom Cruises, your Tom Hardy, some other Tom, Tom Hiddleston, Tom Holland. There's a lot of Tom H's out there. Um, but what about the people that we don't talk about enough? What about those people that always seem like forever the bridesmaid, but never the bride? Or we think of them in one specific asset, but in reality, they're multifaceted and they're truly great actors. That's what we're going to break down today. Um, Michael? Kick us off with something strong. Who who's one somebody on your list that you think is really underrated or underappreciated for their talents? Well, I, this is this is not because they're not a good actor. It's just not somebody. And a lot of these are going to be people that I'm like when I first saw them in a role that that wasn't like the typecast or what I had always pictured in my mind growing up. I'm like, wow. So they do get paid to do that for a reason, and, and that is because of one because of Aaron Sorkin for my first two people, but I'll name just the first one, and that's going to be a gentleman that starred and was the headliner for the newsroom, and he was the headliner for one of the bigger and more uh, viral clips that went around back in 2011, mm. and that's Jeff, Jeff Daniels. Good uh, I, I, I grew up with him just being the Dumb and Dumber guy, and seeing him act in that, it, it was kind of like, well, that's just kind of what he is, and obviously, I, I mean, but that was me as a kid, and so... You know, not seeing a whole lot of him because he's not a headliner by any means. I mean, this is no insult to Jeff Daniels. He's a good-looking guy, but he's not a Tom Cruise, you know. He's not going to headline an action movie, uh, and he's not going to be very well-known, at least for me and the films I'm interested in. And so when I saw him in the newsroom for the first time several years ago, I was just thinking, like, wait a minute, isn't this the Dumb and Dumber guy? Like, wow, he can pull off an actual serious role. And so I, I think he's underappreciated for that role. I think it needs to be talked about more. And so that's that's what I'm starting off with first. Fair, fair. So you have Jeff Daniels for more of the – because you kind of viewed him as the comedic side before you saw him in the newsroom. I've got a guy – I've got quite a few people that um, are often just viewed as the comedians. Um, But one guy I think both is helped and hurt with his comedic partner that he's usually paired with. This guy's usually paired with Will Ferrell, and they're known for being a great comedy duo. But take him away from Will Ferrell, and you actually get some amazing performances from one John C. Riley. I think we sleep on him way too much. So I, in my list, I make sure to kind of, because I knew I'd forget in the moment, uh, I kind of wrote down some of the things that, yeah, this really proved to me that he's a great actor. I think he was one of my favorite parts of Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's saying something, and I'm still very, very anxious and nervous that we've never seen him again. Was he killed in Thanos' attack on Xandar? Will we ever find out? Tune in next week. Um, <laughs> I know you and I have raved about it before. He is outstanding in Wreck-It Ralph. Like, broke yes. his mold as a... I did not even realize how talented of a voice actor he could be, but the amount of... Um, empathy that he was able to bring to Wreck-It Ralph. Such a plain, simple concept of a video game character that doesn't want to be a video game character anymore. But I didn't hear John C. Riley in that. I heard Ralph kind of in the same, not to the same 
love and adoration that I have with Toy Story, but kind of in the same way that I don't hear Tom Hanks and um, I was about to say Woody Allen. That's a that's a combination, I guess, of the Toy Story characters. I don't hear Tom Hanks or Tim Allen. I just hear Woody and Buzz. In the same sense, I don't hear Ralph. I just I don't hear John C. Riley. I just hear Ralph. But take that aside. I think he's hands down the best human character in Kong Skull Island. All the MonsterVerse movies have struggled with their human characters. And even if they're good, we'll kill them in the first 10 minutes. Looking at you, Brian Cranston. Deceptive marketing if ever I've seen it. Um, but he was the best thing about Kong Skull Island. And I very appreciative, spoiler alert, that he didn't actually die. Because this whole narrative seemed very, very likely that he was going to do the self-sacrifice at the very end. But... The fact that he was actually able to come home and watch the Cubs lose one more game was very heartwarming and was really the core of the movie for me. And it's also hard not to talk about one of the best spoof movies of all time and Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That, like, kind of ruined music biopics for me of just like, yeah, they all kind of are the same. Dewey got to be thinking about his whole life before he goes out on stage. Um, yeah, I don't think we talk enough about this serious side of John C. Riley that he can bring to the table and it's because he's so well known for his stepbrothers, um, his Talladega yep. Knights, for his Will Ferrell type stuff, which he is, excels at. But there's more to him than that and I think we often overlook that. Yeah, b- very good pick. Uh, and uh, I like Bill to see actors be given the chance uh, to be versatile. I mean, I know it's a, it's work for them. I mean, well, that's the thing. is that It's always good to have work and if you have an audience that's making the money, I mean, it, it's that's where you would you would like, I would think, just like in any job, if you're doing the same thing every day and it's giving you a paycheck and you're content, but if you're given the opportunity to do something else, it kind of breaks up the mon- monotony and and I think that's refreshing. With our first two picks here, you're able to see that they they're not just one act, but they're not a one act show. Um, my next pick. Is, is again, it's going to be introduced to me because of because uh, of Sorkin and because of the uh, the the show Newsroom, and I'm not saying she was great in uh, the Predator, but people will know her from her start with Attack of the Show, uh, and that is Olivia Munn. Good uh, I will say, Yeah, she. They, the 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 act the the character she plays in the Newsroom is Sloane Sabbath is a quirky all over the place. Uh, person, but she's given some highly emotional scenes. She's given comedic scenes. Her her comedic timing in that show is amazing. Her actual serious uh, and and more kind of down to earth scenes are great. But then she has ones that where she really needs to like. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but actually portray sadness and kind of trauma, and she does it in an amazing way. And I found myself this past week watching those, and I'm thinking, well, this makes sense given the topic that that Nate was that you talked about. I'm like. Oh, I want to see more of this actress somewhere, and I again that Predator was was just terrible in every way. But she's been not, very vocal like about her not enjoying her experience on Predator, and yeah. rightly so. Yeah, and that makes sense to considering. Uh, thank you, Shane Black. But yes, that is my that is my next pick. Uh, so I have Jeff Daniels and Olivia Munn so far. So it's not on my list, but I think it's an honorable mention nonetheless. I think you're missing somebody from your West Wing, your beloved West Wing cast. Um, I think the actor that plays Josh Lyman is incredibly underappreciated. Oh, Bradley Whitford, yes. Bradley um, Whitford. Also in Get Out. Uh, I loved him in Cabin in the Woods as one of the guys that's on the control panel that is <laughs> just treats everything so mundane of just like oh, the wife and I are thinking. On. The wife and I are thinking about refurbishing. Are you listening to anything I said? 
I always wanted to be killed by a merman. Like, he's great. And he's yeah. always, like, the good, like, character actor. He's always the guy in the background. Oh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Yeah, he was in King of the Monsters. I mean, why not? He has the he has the best line in the movie where they go, oh, my God, he goes. So... So it's, it's, like, the it's the best 80s. 80s line yeah he's 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 great he was he was well known before like in, in the industry before west wing so if you want to check out his filmography I'd, I'd look out his stuff beforehand but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of great great people that sorkin rounds up for his cast Dulé hill thanks gus come on yep. son uh let's see um okay i'll get the obvious one out of the way that if you ask almost any film nerd it's just like who's the most underrated actor they'll push up their glasses and go Andy Serkis doesn't get enough love for his work and you're right now it's true yes let's just get the Andy Serkis thing out of the way because yes Andy Serkis is I think one of the most overlooked actors because I think the industry is still getting used to the fact that motion capture is just another type of performance um I like the term performance capture that they've... Wow, whatever happened there? Uh, I like the term performance capture. It's thrown a lot with um, video games. Like the Uncharted games did a lot of performance capture, Last of Us. And I feel like Andy Serkis was really the pioneer of that. Um, Yes, the obvious answer is always Gollum from Lord of the Rings. But uh, look at the work that he did in the Apes movies. And I think it's still to this day that it's criminal that he didn't get nominated for any of that. Because you have to convey emotion as an ape while you still have all this giant apparatus on you. I think his work in apes is outstanding. Uh, take that out of it. He was um, Kong in the Peter Jackson Kong. You've got Gollum. But even if you take the motion capture away, he's a phenomenal actor. Black Panther. I think he was so much fun as Ulysses Claw. And that chase scene is just like, what is, a fu- what is this, a funeral or a chase scene? Get us some music and just have so much fun being a bad guy. I His energy was so infectious and it just makes me sad that they killed him off. It's like, come on, let's just keep him around. What is with Marvel movies and killing off their villains too soon? Except for Loki, who way overextended his stay. I don't care what you say. Um, yeah. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't throw it out there. Uh, one of my wife's favorite movies also features one Andy Serkis in 13 Going on 30 when he's Jennifer Gardner's boss who does the thriller dance. Uh, he's fantastic in that, too, showing he's got a little bit of his comedic side. Now he's wow. turning his hand to directing with Venom There Will Be Carnage. Um, so I'm excited to see like this next phase of his career and see what he's like as a director. I think we often sleep on how good Andy Serkis is in many facets. What a great pick that totally didn't come to mind for all the reasons that you mentioned. So good on you, my man. Uh, my uh, my next pick, uh, people will know him from San- Sons of Anarchy. They will know him from Django, uh, Hateful Eight. And his most probably prominent and, and basically my full introduction to him uh, is his portrayal of Boeg Crowder in justified and that is walton goggins i think oh, he, yeah. I, I think i think he is underrated ever since i saw him i i can't unsee him as boyd crowder uh what an amazing show justified was but uh i i think he's under i think he's underappreciated because i, I just want to see him more but he he's kind of typecast uh definitely and i'd like to see him and give be given more opportunities and I, I easily could see him as one of the Guardians cast, uh, oh, like Guardians yeah. cast members, or in a Guardians movie. But no, he's um, already in the MCU. Remember, he's in the Ant Man movies. He's in Ant Man and the Wasp. 
Is he? Yeah, he's in the second Ant-Man movie as the guy that's trying to get the information from Janet Van Dyme. Oh, that's probably why I remember him then. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, see, see, uh, that's, see, I don't even know. Uh, I, the, it's the guy I'm asking for, and I even forget what he's in sometimes. I, I want to see more of him, and uh, he does such a great job. He can disappear into roles. I'd like to see more of him. I don't know uh, I don't know about you, but uh, he's he's impressed me. I'm so glad you brought up someone that's in the MCU because I'll bring up someone that's in the MCU and he's one of the few people that's in the DCEU as well. Um, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing his name right. I believe I am. Uh, Jaiman Hansu. He's the guy that's always in a movie, but you never remember his name. Oh, yeah, he's that one guy. Um, unfortunately, nowadays, you probably know him best for... Um, you can call me Star-Lord. Who? Who? That guy. Uh, Korath, I believe is his name in Guardians, but he was also the wizard Shazam in Shazam. He's in Gladiator. Uh, he's the trainer, never back down. While I did not enjoy the Alexander Skarsgård Tarzan movie, he was probably the best thing about that as well. This dude just like quietly, he's built up a fantastic resume. And even if he may not be in the best movies, you always walk away going, he was the best thing about that movie. And as an actor, that's kind of what you want. You don't want to outshine everyone else. But that's kind of what he always ends up doing. He's phenomenal in just about everything I've seen him in. Blood Diamond. He's just excellent. And he's always a supporting guy. Um, but I w- I'd be curious to see what he does with a leading role. Hmm. Very very much so. I, I thought about him uh, for sure. I just don't know if... I, I try to think of people who are more in the spotlight, who are underappreciated, versus the people who deserve more of the spotlight uh, because they never have kind of like been up there. Um, you know what? What a fantastic pick, and uh, also nice job nailing the name. I would have I would have butchered the pronunciation. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna divert here, and uh, I'm gonna keep getting uh, not not better. This might this will be this is probably the worst take that I have. But I not that I liked the Maze Runner or American Assassin, but I do think Dylan O'Brien does have some good acting chops. Agreed. And, agreed. Yeah, and I I would like to see him. Uh, be given some more material because I think he could be a really good action star. Not like the next Tom Cruise, but like there were some decent stunts in all of those films. And in fact, on uh, and like Tom Cruise experienced a horrific uh, injury uh, filming was yes. it the Scorch Trials. Yes. Um, so like he has shown that he's willing to do that. And I mean he's young. He's he's good looking guy. He's char- I think he's charismatic, but I think he needs to be given an opportunity to, to have that. American Assassin, the script just wasn't there. I mean, he had he had some good people around him, but, I mean, it, just yeah. wasn't, it, it was an attempt, I guess, to try to break out into that. But maybe, maybe you should pick the next uh, – read read the entire script next time, pal. That's what I mm. would do. So uh, I'm going to mix things up, and I'm going to go with my first actress on the list who uh, kind of popped on my radar a few years ago, and it seems like she's popped up on everyone's radar a few years ago mm-hmm. and has slowly but surely been making her – named bigger via horror movies with her now husband, Mike Flanagan. And I'm talking about Kate Siegel uh, from Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, Ouija Origin of Evil. But my favorite performance of hers, and one of my favorite um, horror movies in recent memory, Hush. Guys, I can never talk about Hush enough. To the point of, actually, I think it's one of the few movies, Michael, that I think you could handle. So basically, the premise is it's so genius. Of uh, it's a writer who um, gets away to her cabin in the woods, 
to clear her mind and keep working on her novel. The catch here is she's deaf. And so uh, a killer comes to basically kill her. And it's a short, tight cat and mouse game with like 85 minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome at all. But her character is single-handedly one of the smartest protagonists I've ever seen in a horror movie or just movie in general. Uh, like, freaks out naturally at first, but understands the situation and tries to stay one step ahead as best as she can. It feels very realistic and normal, but also how they portray deafness in the film is outstanding without saying too much. Um, things are set up perfectly, but it all hinges on the performance of the one character on Kate Siegel's character and she absolutely nails it she gets the fear at first but then she gets the determination um in other roles like Haunting of Hill House she's Theo who again maybe it's just because it was her and I was coming off of Hush I think Theo was my favorite character in Hill House um thought there was a lot of interesting facets to the character that she brought to it I just think she's phenomenal and I really look forward to bigger things from her I won't say bigger and better because to me there's nothing better than horror but I would like to see her get more mainstream acclaim than just the diehard horror community because Kate Siegel is awesome. And I hope she continues to pair with her husband because Mike Flanagan also is one of my favorites working today. He's amazing. Uh, fantastic pick. And uh, I, I want to ask, um, much like uh, we talked about Bradley Whitford earlier, you know, kind of an old school uh, throwback is, uh, John, uh, is it, uh, John Gallagher Jr. He actually was in the West Wing was in the newsroom. I know he also was in, was it the Belko experiment? Um, and he was in, he was in this in Hush. So like, do you think there's a potential as an honorable mention for him as well? Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Cause I know, I know he plays the antagonist in Hush. So, um, the, uh, my, my next pick is going to be, uh, some, something, somebody from a movie, uh, not, I mean, I'm not that I would ever say like from the pitch perfect films, uh, at all that we would say like, well, this person's an underrated actress, but you sold me on the movie. That is Bumblebee. And I was blown away by Haley Steinfeld's portrayal. Like she actually gave an amazing performance. Like my parents laughed and, and chuckled and thought it was an endearing performance. And my parents could care less about Transformers. They had fun with Bumblebee. And a lot of it was tied back to the fact that you know, Haley Steinfeld sold it. Like it actually, it's a, it's a, it's basically a modern day ET, but not not as good. It's Iron but Giant. I, yeah, or modern, well, Iron Giant. Excuse me. I I uh, I found myself saying, "Wow, you're giving a lot of effort here for a movie that shouldn't be this good." And so I want to see more of her. And I'm really excited, really excited for uh, her to join the MCU. And mm-hmm. man, like I'm I'm glad because I think she deserves it. And I'm glad that the industry is rewarding her for it. I don't know. She's one of my favorite actresses by far. I just don't know because she, she seems pretty well known at this point. But then again, you can be well known and still be underrated as an actor. Case in point, my yes. next person is probably the biggest name on my list for all the wrong reasons. But I'll still say he's one of my favorite actors when under the right circumstances and you have someone that can keep him on his leash. And by that, I mean the actual cannibal that is Shia LaBeouf. I think Shia LaBeouf, and I'm not joking or being sarcastic when I say this, I think when you have, when he's in the right frame of mind and he's not ruining the lives of everyone around him, he is one of the best actors working today. And I think so often people just go, the Even Stevens kid? 
Yes, he was Even Stevens, which was great, but he moves on to Holes, which is outstanding. 2019 alone, he had not one, but two movies that probably could have gotten a lot more awards nominations than they did. Um, with Honey Boy, which is his like self-reflection movie, in which case he was outstanding playing his dad. He was so good in that. It was a different side of him that I'd never seen before. But he also played much more vulnerable and human in what I think is a really underrated movie called The Peanut Butter Falcon with him and Zach Gottsagen, which is basically a boy with Down syndrome wants to leave his old folk nursing home that he's taken care of at and go down to Florida to become a professional wrestler. And Shia LaBeouf is running from the cops. It's like a um, Tom. So- it's like a Tom Sawyer type yeah. story, and they become best friends. <laughs> Honey, Honey Boy is more of an autobiography, but oh my yeah. goodness, him and Zach have this wonderful human relationship. It's, they've got such good chemistry, and he brings one of his best performances ever in Honey Boy. It's so underrated. For those that haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. I also think it's uh, Dakota Johnson's best performance I've ever seen her in, too. It made me go, oh, so there is more to you than those crappy Fifty Shades movies. She's really good in that. Um, just taking those two out of it. Let's see. You've also got, like I said, Holes, I think, not just as a kid's movie, but just in general, it's really, really good. He was in one that's doesn't get talked about nowadays, but I thought it was actually pretty decent called Eagle Eye from, I think, was what, 2010, 2011? I loved Eagle Eye. Yeah, yeah no one talks Rebecca about Eagle Ferguson Eye anymore. Too? Hmm? Like it was Rebe- with Rebecca Ferguson as well? Uh, no, it's the other one from, Minute, from Mission Impossible. Uh, uh, Rebecca Monahan? Michelle Monahan. Yeah, Michelle Monahan. Yes, thank you. Excuse me. We yeah, may that- be- we may be talking about Rebecca Ferguson later. Uh, okay, fair enough. Sorry about that. Yeah, that that is uh, Eagle Eye, one of my favorites. I absolutely love that movie. I really do. Um, but also after Eagle Eye, you've got um, I got two separate ones that I think um, one that I saw much much later called The Greatest Game Ever Played. In which case, it's a Disney movie, a Disney sports movie where Shia LaBeouf basically plays a poor golfer that wants to basically go pro. And he was really good in that. But the performance that single-handedly turned me around to Shia LaBeouf and go, holy crap, you are actually amazing, is the David Ayer movie Fury, in which case he's on the um, tanker with um, Logan Lerman, uh, Michael Pena, I think, and Brad Pitt. And I thought he was actually the best performance in that and the only likable character. I thought he was so good in that. I think the issue with Shia LaBeouf is that so many people focus, rightly so, because he's done some very egregious things in his past. Um, They focus on the troubling side of Shia. But then again, I've often said that this is nothing new in the world of Hollywood. We have Marlon Brando, one of the biggest and best actors of all time, was one of the worst actors people to have to work with like he was awful um this is nothing new val kilmer has a reputation for being a horrible person to people on set uh, i'm not excusing shia's behavior at all i think if he was able to get himself consistently on track more because he's he's like a roller coaster he's got his peaks and his valleys um if he had more peaks than valleys i think we would be talking about his acting ability much more often yeah that you know, that that is a very very uh, good take. Considering, you know, I mean, many of these people, I, I just it's the matters of what if. It's right timing, right agent, right script, and I mean that would be an amazing. Is we, we talk about that 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 Disney or the Disney Plus show of the what if uh, things that are like the animated Marvel show, but like it's like what if 
this person start as this person, you know, and yeah, I, I fan, fantastic list so far that we I think we both put together. Of course, I'm a little biased. Um, I will I'll end it. I'll just repeat just the, the list I have here uh, for five, for six people. I have I started out the list with Jeff Daniels. Uh, I went to Olivia Munn. I have uh, Dylan O'Brien, Walton Goggins, and Haley Steinfeld. And I'm going to end with somebody I think you'll be you'll be proud of. Uh, in the same way of somebody I always thought was kind of a clown, and then you know you you see them, um, you see them uh, do a romantic comedy. I believe it's Fifty First Dates, uh, and then you actually that's, that's wrong. I think it's uh, I can't remember what, what romantic comedy this person was. But I'm going to find it and correct it in a second. Uh, but uh, I have to say Jack Black. I I <gasps> yes. I, I, uh, He's I, not on my list, I but really, I'm so glad you brought him up. Uh, yes. I. That, I you know, you can say what you want about Tropic Thunder. I love it. Film. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can. Can say I get a my M and M's? Can I get my M and M's, man? I just, I just need my M and M's. Um, but he he has shown a lot of. I mean, who knew that Jack Black could play uh, a third like a teenage girl so well? Uh, I, I he is he has shown that. I mean, um, and movies from you know just I mean even the kind of like the more more kid friendly ones of like a the the house with the clock in its walls. Like just a, more of a mysterious character to funny to, to serious to, well that's a lot different. I, I my you know in the excuse, also his voice work with Kung Fu Panda, I I honestly didn't give this guy enough credit because I made the same mistake as I did with Jeff Daniels. I just thought it's like oh he's just that kind of he's the school of rock kind of wild and crazy dude, uh, but he also gets paid to act and I I think he's done a great job and uh, he is he was on top of my list for underappreciated or underrated actor. I thought about it, um, and I feel like movie fans are starting to finally realize that because he has done such diverse projects. Of he's voiced, like you said, he's voiced Poe in Kung Fu Panda. He's um, done Jumanji, but then throw it back. Um, I love him in School of Rock. I thought he was perfect for that. Uh, throw it back to Tenacious D. He has such varied projects, and I think that only serves to better him. Um, even the occasional drama like Bernie, he was pretty good in that. Um, yeah, I'm glad you have Jack Black on there because the more I see of him lately over the past few years, the more I just really, really like him just because he's got this infectious energy that even if the movie might be bad, you're like, well, at least Jack Black's fun in it. And also, I'm probably a little biased just because he comes from a horror background. He was in I Still Know What You Did last summer with Freddie Prince Jr. and... Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. It's not a good movie, but it's at least fun. Um, so I got five more. Uh, and I'm sh- actually pretty confident that almost all of these, if Michael had thought about for a little longer, they would probably be on his list, and he'll probably agree with me on some of these. Um, <laughs> uh, my next about one, that. My next one is, crazy to think, a guy that almost was Batman. He was this close to being Batman, but then again, that's a long list, including bill murray at one point but um no this guy was this close to being batman but because christopher nolan liked him so much he was just like no we'll keep you around but we'll have you be the bad guy instead we'll have you be scarecrow killian murphy is so so good in everything he's like the only villain character that's in the entire dark knight trilogy and i think that's because nolan's just like even if it's for just a scene we gotta have you in here you just there's something about his scarecrow and his performance in that. But take the Dark Knight trilogy out of it. 28 Days Later, Outstanding, Inception, 
he's basically what the whole plot revolves around. He's got to carry that. Um, and I know Michael has a soft spot for at least half of this movie, Sunshine. Um, yes. I think we sleep too often on Killian Murphy, and he's just outstanding. I love me some Killian Murphy. Yeah, what I honestly, I thought about him, and I'm not surprised that he's on your list. Uh, you're you're 100% right. I mean, he's also I, I haven't watched Peaky Blinders, but I mean that's a pretty big show uh, that he is in. And but yeah, I mean his his portrayal uh, and uh, he just uh, he evokes something like in you, like you, Fear. you you have yeah you have to react when you see him on screen. He has that presence, and uh, he also just has a unique look to him as well. He's he's uniquely recognizable in that way. So yeah, very good pick. Completely agree. Looking at him, I kind of want to see him as a Bond villain. Like, I think he's got the he's got the look to oh, him. Oh, sure. Like, Rami Malek looks like he was born to play a Bond villain. Doctor No. Um, but I think Killian <laughs> Murphy also has that look. Like, there's some people that you're like, you just look like you're gonna be a villain. Um, well, I don't think she'll ever be a Bond girl, but she's definitely been in a spy franchise. Let's talk about the Ferg. Rebecca Ferguson, I think, is one of the fastest rising actresses in the business, not named Haley Seinfeld, and I'm all aboard the Ferg train because Rebecca Ferguson is awesome. I remember sitting down in the theater to see Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation when she makes her debut. And up until that point, the female characters in Mission Impossible were just kind of there. They didn't really bring anything to the table, and they were substituted out by the next movie. Uh, Then... Rebecca Ferguson comes on as kind of this like anti-hero sniper. We don't know what side she's on, at least in Rogue Nation. And there was something charismatic about her that you're just like, oh, you're not the f- just the female character here. Like, I almost think of you like the co-lead in this movie because we've got that shifting alliances throughout most of Rogue Nation um, to become leading into the next Mission Impossible um, Fallout kind of being the is she a love interest is she not of ethan hunt but it felt it never felt forced their relationship just worked like i bought her as a character they never brought her in to just be the eye candy yes she's a very attractive young woman but she was a phenomenal presence like i don't know what about the character it was but just like a i trust you type of persona that she exudes with that character Take Mission Impossible away, and I'm glad they're bringing her back, and it seems like they have this, like, set team now after the events of Rogue Nation. They have really kind of just have their core group that they're sticking with and not just slotting them out. Take that aside. She's phenomenal in Doctor Sleep, which way too many of you skipped out on. I don't even like The Shining that much, but Doctor Sleep was amazing, and she was outstanding as Rose the Hat. Um, while the character of Jenny Lind wasn't that great in The Greatest Showman, I thought she did a really good performance. I've yet to see a bad Rebecca Ferguson performance, and I think her um, star is only going to shine brighter because I think the her best days lie before her, and I think she had this big breakout role in Mission Impossible, and I think it's only going to get better because she's amazing in everything I've seen her in so far. Yeah, I mean, that was she was in a lot of indie films. Of course, she's not an American actress, so it's not somebody that uh, we would be truly familiar with or as familiar with as we would other people who maybe have grown up here in the States and got their big break. Uh, yeah, I saw her in you know Rogue Nation. I still remember – I remember the day that I saw Rogue Nation. 
I remember what I did the night after I saw Rogue Nation. It was it was so vivid in my mind. And I'm thinking, wow, like that was a great movie. And this this person that's come in now, like they really have something here. Because like Rogue Nation, much like the turn uh, with Mission Impossible, uh, Mission Impossible uh, Four, Ghost Protocol, they they made a turn to say, hey, we're gonna actually gonna do some character development a little bit here. Uh, there's always been seeds, of course, but it, it was there's a lot more tension, and I loved every minute of it. So yeah, like I couldn't agree uh, more, honestly, and uh, can't wait to see more of her, especially with uh, is is Mission Impossible this next one actually still supposed to come out this year? Thus far, yes, nothing has changed okay. yet, but um, card subject to change for most of this year. Okay, all right, um, that's what I thought. Uh, I will say just finally that that romantic comedy with Jack Black was Shallow Hell. That's what I was. Oh yeah, about. Shallow Hell with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. So my next name is another one that everyone's super super familiar with at this point, but he is the epitome to me of forever a bridesmaid but never a bride. And when he was oh. a bride, he unfortunately the movie did not do well, even though it's amazing. This guy has been in some of the biggest franchises of all time: Star Trek. Lord of the Rings, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he's always the sidekick, but he's always amazing and brings 100%. Carl freaking Urban is yes. king. Why don't y'all recognize Carl Urban more? And why didn't you go see Dread when it was in theaters? Because of you, Carl Urban really hasn't had a leading role since, which is unfortunate. Like, he's always been the side character. He's Bones in Star Trek, which... I think Bones is my favorite character in the new J.J. Star Trek movies. Oh, I yes. thought Bones was outstanding. Um, or Lord of the Rings. I always forget that he's in Lord of the Rings because he's almost unrecognizable with the long hair and the beard. Um, Thor Ragnarok, a lot of funny performances, but his role was just, behold, my stuff was just... <laughs> Great. In a movie that has Korg, who very well might be one of my top five like favorite MCU characters, he still is able to shine through that. Uh, but we talked, I think it was last week or two ago, we talked about Red, the first Red movie. He's the agent chasing after them. Brings 100% in that. The Born Supremacy brings 100% in that. Um, I talked about Dread. He's amazing in Dread, and Dread is single-handedly the reason why I wanted Carl Urban to be the new Batman for a very long time, because he has to act from his nose down just like batman um but he's the right age for what i wanted uh also i don't know if you remember this michael but he had a tv show that ran for one season called almost human uh that was really really good it was a buddy cop show where he was paired with a humanoid um cyborg and they have to solve crimes together basically and it was actually really really good it got canceled after one season because um it's expensive to have a robot related tv show it's a very effects heavy budget but carl urban is so good um whenever anytime his name pops up in something i'm just like well at least one good performance will be in this yeah you you mentioned him way back in college with dread and i remember how upset you were that that movie didn't do better and this this is probably perhaps the the best pick that's been brought up so far, if I'm being completely honest, because of that reason of that. You, when you go back and you look at his entire body of work, you're like, oh, wow, he was in that and that, and oh my gosh, in that as well. Uh, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be receding in the background. 
because yeah, even though it's Carl Urban, I see his characters first. You know, I don't see him. I see he becomes those characters, and because of that, I mean, that's the best part is that even if you have a big name like a Tom Hanks or a Will Smith, they're supposed to become that character, and he does it so well. But you're right; it's just one of those things of does it does it seem right at this point that he gets a a, a big lead in a movie because it's like, buddy, you're doing this so well. Uh, so man, that, that's tough because he he does it. I would say almost better than anyone, and he's done it with a lot of grace. And I don't see him getting into a lot of disputes or throwing any temper tantrums over not ever having the spotlight. And man, it, it, what a great take! I think that's the best one so far. Well, at least he seems to be getting some recognition now with the boys. That's seeming to do really, really well. So good for him. Uh, the boys also stars another name that I almost put on the list: fellow Star Trek alum Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg's awesome, guys. I love me some Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. Um. I got one that he's kind of known for voice acting, but he's also known for acting, acting. Um, And I'm sure it holds a special place near and dear to Michael's heart because it's my next two people. Both are Star Wars people. One is a very close to my heart and you'll never change my mind on this. And my other one voiced a character in one of my least favorite Star Wars movies, but I think he was the best thing about it. Alan Tudig, also known as K2SO. I love Alan Tudig, and he's in much, much more than you guys actually realize. Yes, he's more known for voice stuff, but he's so prolific with his voice stuff. Um, he currently is voicing Joker on Harley Quinn. I am biased towards always liking a Mark Hamill type because of Batman the Animated Series that we talked about earlier. But his Joker is really, really good. I heard going into it that it was just like, oh, Alan Tudyk kills it as Joker. So you kind of go in with that, well, I'm not going to like it. And then I watch Harley Quinn. I'm like, I like his Joker. Um, But you got him in Harley Quinn. He did voices in Frozen. He was Alistair Cray, uh, the big nose guy in Big Hero 6. I didn't even notice until I was doing research for the show. Michael, he voiced the robot Sonny in iRobot. That's right. He did. Okay, that, you know, I if you would have challenged me on that and given me maybe a multiple choice, I would have gotten it right because I did research on him before Rogue One came out. I'm like, people are saying this guy's really good. I'm like, I never heard of him, so I need to look this up. And, yeah, that that is that is a fantastic pick. I mean, obviously I saw the banner there. Um, yeah. One of the most redeeming parts of Rogue One, and I will, I'll just say other than that, but he did a great job with Sonny in iRobot, a, a film that is not very good, but I really like. <laughs> also, um, we a lot of the stuff that we said today is voiceover from Alan Tudyk. Let's not make a mistake. He has done actual acting. He's really well known for being in Firefly. Curse your sudden but inev- inevitable betrayal. But me being the horror fan that I am, to me, he will always be... Um, Dale. I always get Tucker and Dale mixed up. It's a Bill and Ted situation. But yeah. in Tucker oh and Dale God. versus Evil, oh my gosh, it has been... The first time I watched Tucker and Dale versus Evil, it had been a long time since I had laughed that hard. Guys, if you don't mind a little bit of violence, Tucker and Dale will make you split your sides laughing so hard. Basically, the premise is there's always those stereotypical evil hillbillies. Well, what if there's just a big misunderstanding and the hillbillies aren't evil whatsoever? So it's Tucker and Dale is Alan Tudyk and oh, I forget the other actor's name are basically renovating their cabin in the woods. Completely harmless. 
But one bad thing after another keeps happening, and the teenagers that are camping think that they're evil psychopaths. So, like, the guy is chopping down firewood, um, but he cuts through a, a nest of bees. So he's running around with a chainsaw while being chased by bees, and teenagers see him, and they think he's some crazed maniac with a chainsaw. And it's wonderful. Or, um, Alan Tudyk's telling his buddy, hey, that girl, just go talk to her if you think she's cute. Girls like when you smile, so smile and laugh at everything she says so he goes over there with his little scythe and just like so uh, <laughs> you guys going camping <laughs> <laughs> like does the creepy like a uh, the ominous warning that's in all horror movies um but him and uh Tarkendale is so pure-hearted in its portrayal of its main characters and alan tudyk just crushes it in his chemistry with his co-star who i feel so bad that i'm forgetting his name is it's just so good it's not just one of my favorite horror movies it's one of my favorite comedies it's so good and alan tudyk is a big part of the reason why it works so much um and i can never ever recommend that movie enough however anybody that knows me and michael might know where i'm going with this tucker and dale is never my most recommended movie to people there's one movie that i recommend to people more than any other because i still think it's one of the most criminally underrated movies of all time Ergo, it has one of the most criminally underrated actors, I think, of all time. Warrior, starring mm. one Joel Edgerton. Mm. I love Joel Edgerton so, so much. And I said, my last two pe- picks were Star Wars people. Because Joel Edgerton, one of his first major roles, was Uncle Owen Lars in Attack of is. the Clones. There and it it's just weird to see him in that now. Mm-hmm. No, it, you going back, it's like, wow, they did assemble a really good cast. You know, I was going to fake you out. I was going to say this guy is known for his romantic comedy work uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, he was paired opposite of Natalie Portman, and that's one, you know, uh, Hayden Christensen. I was really going to really throw you off there that he was just misunderstood, but I will say that if you go back and look at the casts of the prequel trilogy. Liam Neeson, Ewan McGregor, Natalie Portman, Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I'll always say the performances are better than the original trilogy, but the prequels were cast better with the bigger names. They didn't deliver on that, but on paper, the prequels had a better cast. Oh, absolutely they did. And, yeah, no, Joel Edgerton. Yeah, you pushed, you beat me into submission with Warrior. I finally watched it. I made you tap out. Yeah, but it was, yes, it's very, very, very true. Uh, yes, very good. And, yeah, he's a guy that, I don't know, it's, it's like that X factor. Like, we, we think, like, we think that they have it, but then they're just not given that, that opportunity. And, you know, it just makes you wonder, what other what other films do you like him in? Uh, so, Warrior, obviously, I think no one could have done Brendan uh, Conlon better than he did. Uh, but the first thing I saw him after Warrior I actually think he outshone one of the biggest names in Hollywood. He was in The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, really? As okay. Carrie Mulligan's, I forget what her um, character's name is. Who's the girl that um, The Great Gatsby loves? He plays her husband. Um, and there's a scene where they're all like in this really hot room and he's like cutting ice for them to have in their drinks. And there's like a whole bunch of like tension of just like, I know you're interested in my wife type of situation. And I think he actually outacts DiCaprio in that. I think he holds his own just as much, if not better, than Leo in that scene. I think he's so good in that. I don't particularly love The Great Gatsby. I think there's a lot of issues with it. Also, it gave me a headache when I watched it in theaters. Thanks, Baz Luhrmann. But I think he was outstanding in it. 
Um, again, I got to bring up horror. I didn't love It Comes at Night just because I think the trailers were very, they mismarketed what the movie was supposed to be, but his performance in it as a paranoid man living in the apocalypse was amazing. His directorial debut in The Gift with Jason Bateman um, was outstanding. His performance and his directing was really, really good. Um, Bright, not a great movie, but he, I think he's at least decent considering he's covered in the prosthetics for most of it. I, I would, I would agree. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't like King Arthur, the Antoine Fuqua one from 2004 with Ion Grufford, but, uh, he plays Sir Gwaine in that. And as soon as I saw that, I was just like, <gasps> Joel Edgerton's in this redeemed. At that, least one performance is going to be in this. I don't even care if he dies five minutes in. I'm down. I don't. I don't even care. I'll subject myself to bad movies for Joel Edgerton. Uh, so Joel Edgerton and and Carl Urban going for a uh, Bruce Wayne Batman role. Only one can come out. Who's coming out? Uh, I would still prefer Carl Urban for Batman specifically, but I I could see Joel Edgerton being a really good bad guy. Maybe like a Hush, because um, okay. he. W- He's played both. He's been the all-around good guy like Warrior. He's been the questionable, like It Comes at Night, and then he's played the villain quite a few times. So he's got a lot of great range. I just really, really enjoy what he brings to the table. Um, yeah. yeah. He was one of the redeeming qualities of the Thing remake. In yes! Yeah, okay. Full disclosure, I don't hate the Thing remake. Um, I hate the CGI that's in it because I've seen the practical effects that they used that uh, they no, that they glossed over with CGI. Like they actually made real effects that they just painted over with CGI, and that annoys me. But I don't hate it as much as other people. Maybe I'm just one of those people that like when pieces fit and the attention to detail in making it set like right before the original thing. I didn't. I didn't hate. Also, I thought Mary Elizabeth Winstead was pretty good in that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, good call with Joel Edgerton in that one too. Yeah, he's he's just great. Yeah, I, I, I try to help what I can, man. This is a good list that you put together here, pal. Um, that this is uh, this was a hard subject because it's like, how, how do you have them underrated when they're being paid to do what they're doing? But it, I, I think they're the names that like the general public would be like, yeah, we we recognize them, but they're not like. Uh, I mean, yeah, they look like somebody we we like know. Sam Rockwell. Uh, Everyone, yeah knows a movie that they've seen with him, but they don't know his name. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you guys think? Who are some of the really underrated actors that you've enjoyed them, but you may not know their name off the top of your head? And what do you like them most for? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always... Stay sharp, movie guys and gals.